Hi there. This is Laquita Thompson, the owner of Extreme Heat Sports Management. And this week on the I Am podcast, we're doing something different. We have a special guest who will be sharing historical moments in sports. That's right. We're going back in history, sports history, and you don't want to miss it. Tune in each week to hear great moments of athletes that we've heard of right here on the I Am podcast with a very special guest, a celebrity right out of the city of Houston, Texas. Enjoy. I am. I am. I am. I am. I am legendary. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and people all over the globe. Thanks for tuning in to today's special edition of the I Am Podcast. Today's guest is nothing less than a legend. He's a triple threat, a superstar activist, an award-winning journalist, and a sportscaster like none this town has ever seen. Ladies and gentlemen, if you were to list the 50 most influential athletes of the past 50 years, today's guest will have interviewed just about all of them. Hailing from the University of Houston, by way of the Ebony Worthing Coats, the Hall of Famer, Ralph Cooper! Get and get as much education as you can. Go to school, learn from the professors, and learn how to master these skills. Some of the stuff you can do on your own. Your parents have had you on these phones since you were two, three, four years old. Learn how to make documentaries. Learn how to uh, do podcasts, etc. on these devices. You'll be all right. That is great advice. Uh, I don't want this to end. It's, you, you have so much to share with us. I don't, I don't want to push stop and end this opportunity, this conversation with you. Well, um, I'm going to give you something to end with. See, okay. this is why people never know. So I, uh, so you, uh, okay, well, for about about a year and a half, when my father left my mother and my two, my three sisters and I, we were on welfare, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what welfare was. I didn't know what that, uh, that pressed ham and that cheese was all about, powdered milk. I could taste it now. Ooh, I could taste <laughs> that stuff now. You know what I'm talking about? Didn't know nothing about it, but I learned it. And I learned something from my mother. My mother told us that this was a temporary device. Mm. Yeah, welfare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll get, we're going to get this check and we're going to use it for food. So each, I was about 11, 10 or 11. So every, when that check came, came through the mail, my mother wanted me to call her on a job so she can come straight home from work or come get off her. And we would take that check and go to the store. My sisters and I would be able to get two or three things we wanted, but most of the money was spent on necessities for food, right? It was all spent on food, I know, because I saw what she did with it. So now we jump, we jump. And now you're about 30 years later. Hmm. You're in a jet. This is why I say people never know what's going to happen to them. You're in a jet, private jet. You're 30,000 feet up with three white men. Well, five, two pilots and three white men, right? I'm in this jet 
and we're coming back from the Astro Camp. They had invited me to go to the Astro Camp with them. So we're coming back. And the conversation turns to welfare out there. So I shared with them this story. The story I just shared with you, I shared with them that story and how my mother said it was a temporary thing. It wasn't a thing where you were gonna be on that for life. So I said, you talk, you're, you're sitting here in the presence of a guy who was on welfare. You're getting a piece of knowledge that you never thought, you never thought about, right? So they said, yeah. Now you probably ask them, who are these three men, right? Who are these three white men? Mm-hmm. Ray McLean of the Astros, he owned the team. Mm-hmm. Tell Smith, who was his president, general manager of the team. And the president, a guy who tried to hire me in the radio business. Two times. Uh, see, I told you, you never know who's listening to you. Mm-hmm. person who made a hell of an offer and talked. I learned more in the meetings with him in regards to him hiring, trying to hire me, mm-hmm. than I thought I knew about radio. Mm-hmm. because of the way they offer deals, right? Mm-hmm. So, Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor, was Dan, yes. was then he owned KSEB, which he still does, and he was on, on this particular trip in this airplane and where we talked about welfare. And, and I think they became more enlightened about how one could use welfare in their family when they hit hard times, be whatever caused it, and how it how your mother instilled in you not to make it a permanent thing. So, you know, I, I just wanted, and the other white person I've been offered, two times I, were off, I was offered jobs here. Remember I told you, I only took the thing with Bob Allen at Channel 13 mm-hmm. because I, I, I wanted to be an analyst. But now with Dan Patrick, he, was, he wanted me to do what I do, to be a, a broadcaster uh, and do sports. Mm-hmm. And the other in which he did, he was going to hook me up with a guy that I really respected, who was white, was John O'Reilly. And he was going to have us on together, which would have probably really changed radio around here, really and true. But I didn't do it. Because of one thing, I had moved from the neighborhood, which was near where his station was, mm-hmm. to Paraland. I hear the sunny side Paraland, and I knew they were building all these stations, so I didn't want to make that ride. But the other one uh, was Michael Berry at uh, 790. Uh, KPRC, KTRH, he tried to hire me. And he came the closest to hiring me because mm-hmm. of the, the money. It was hard to turn down. And then it came with other type of incentives where you can make money, which I had, again, no clue of some of the things that you can do. Yeah. So you learn from these individuals and you keep the friendships, but you don't work for them. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But again, you're auditioning every time I try to tell you, every time you open your mouth on the radio, mm-hmm. you're auditioning. They know me. But you, they never heard before. They're meeting you for the first time. And how do they know you? They know you by what you say or do on the radio. Mm-hmm. So, you know, have a game plan. Exactly. Yeah, have, a, have, a, have, a, have a game plan on the radio. You know. Yeah, and that's that's something that we preach to them all the time. I always tell the kids, you know, you are always being watched and you're always being evaluated um, and you never know who's watching you. And so you you got to pay attention to what type of impression are you leaving on those who are sitting and are hidden that have eyes on you at that moment. Um, 
I'm so grateful to have you. Last one. This is this is put your icing on the cake. A, a coach. Okay, give me the icing. A coach came to kick my behind one morning. Uh, well, and I'm sure what he came and I said, Coach, it was done. It was when I was doing the five minute thing. So I said, Coach, what you doing down at seven o'clock in the morning? He said, I came down there to kick your blank, blank, <laughs> blank, blank. I say, Well, can you wait? To show you how dumb I was. I said, can you wait till I get through? Gotta do a report right quick. <laughs> so when it was over, and he and I became real good friends after this, he, he said, you know, I'm telling you, you know, I really came down here to jump over you, though. I said, no. He said, well, I did. And we became real good friends. And I told him, I said, well, you help. And I explained to him how he helps, how he actually helped. And this was proof of it by him coming down here. Wendell Mo he was the late Texas Southern football coach, Wendell Mosley. Coached mm -hmm. at UCL Moore High School here in Houston. Then went to Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma was a football coach, and then came back to Texas Southern mm -hmm. uh, University. And see, again, you never know how much power you have. He was dying, right? He was mm -hmm. on his deathbed. He had had a uh, Harvard, Harvard horrible experience as a coach at Texas Southern. He tried to run the wrong offense, wrong defense, the wishbone. So he called me one day as he battles cancer in the last days of his life to show you how much power, you don't know how much power you have. He said, can you get on that radio and do one favor for me? He said, remember that time I was coming down there? He was weak, but I understood what he said. When I was coming down there to jump on you, beat, beat you up, blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah. he said, can you do this one favor for me? He said, the Texas Southern football job is open again. I said, yeah, it's open. He said, let them know. Let the people know I want the job. Let them know I want the job. I'm, I'm a little sick right now, but I'll be out of this bed soon, and I want the job. I said, okay. And he said, tell them one thing for me. He said, tell them one thing for me. I won't be running that blank, blank. Well, I get rid of this. I won't be running that wishbone <laughs> offense at the Southern University. We're going to play wide open football. That was the last conversation we had. He died a few days later. But he still, in his mind, he was thinking about how powerful you were on the radio. So I relate that to the young people. Mm -hmm. Never let anybody tell you that what you say doesn't have any input or impact. It does. And, and, it, and it probably, in most cases, has more than you really realize. And that was proved, again, by Wendell Mosley, Coach Wendell Mosley. That was over. Thank you. I hope you got some tape. Wow, that's something. I got. I definitely want to look up some of the people that you've mentioned that I, you know, had no clue about. Um, that's amazing. You know, before I go, I have to do this because it's important. Also, I think for our kids to understand, as you were talking about opportunities and and applying, and you know, not having any excuses, basically, on going to the next level after high school. Tell them and give your input on how important our HBCUs are. If, if uh, see the first time, I'll go back to Worthen. One, 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 one experience we had at Worthen. Two things changed my mind about, okay, I had gone to Texas Southern football game and had been on the TSU campus. I had never been on the Purview campus either. So we go to Purview. So, the Worthing High School basketball team is playing for a state championship at Prairie View. Round trip ticket, $5. Can you imagine that? You get on the bus, leave Sunnyside. Wow. <laughs> you got in the game. 
for five dollars. So you go up there, you've never been there before, never been on a black campus like that before with a baby dome. They had the baby dome there. Mm-hmm. And the game played there. And you had a chance to walk around the campus. The teachers made the coaches made you walk around the campus. They actually used it as a recruiting device. So you you learned about purview that way. Then another time came up and some of our classmates ended up going to this university because of that. Southern University came. Southern University at Worthing High School, they had a bus going from Worthing High School to Southern University in Baton Rouge. Males only. They were looking for male students. And you get up to Southern that particular Saturday, and uh, some of us were used to black bones and brown bones. Mm-hmm. They had what they call yellow bones. They were all over the campus. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and young ladies. And as a result, some of the guys from Worthing ended up going to that university. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you you but see now you you can you can Google this up. You can you can actually get on a campus through this through the device and you can see the campus. You see some of the games. This is why what Deion Sanders and, and the Swack is doing, Dr. Charles McCullough is doing in regards to putting those games on TV. They can see the campus. Mm-hmm. And you have a chance. In most cases now, it's what has happened is the way people are raised now. Most of the kids are around other people more so than black people. Mm-hmm. So now if you really want to learn who you are, you go to the historically black schools. You really want to learn Maybe you knew some blacks uh, when you went to some private school or some predominantly white school and, and, and you thought you knew the professors, et cetera. You get a black experience. You get a chance to uh, experience not only now, but the, you're part of something that's been around and that was very integral in regards to who we became as a people. That's why these schools are so important, in my, in my opinion. And many people take them for granted and, and see, but you see what's happening now. Deion Sanders wanted to be yes. a head football coach, right? Yes, yes. He couldn't get the job at Florida State or some yes. predominantly white school. Right. What does he come? Right. Two black men with from Mississippi, one the president and one the athletic director, with a great history of historically black schools. They decided we'll take a chance on it. We know he didn't go to school here. We know he turned, he didn't consider any black school when he got ready to go to college and take his skills on that level. But we'll take him now because we can use what he brings. My point is, if you see Dion, you can you can do the same, what he's, his message is, you can do the same thing at the predominantly white schools that you can do on the historically white campuses. If you, you want to play on Sunday and you're good enough to play on Sunday, the odds are you can still make it, but you can also become a very productive in regards to your own community or your own, or your own, you have your own. You can be part of a, a fraternity or whatever. I mean, a, yeah, a fraternity or something that, that you want to be part of. Mm-hmm. So you've got a chance to make history. And in my opinion, that's why the history, you see all these black guys. You got Tyrone Wheatley up yeah. at Morgan State, the head football coach. Yeah. Well, what did he go to school? Exactly. He didn't go to no, no historically black school. See, at one time in the state of Texas, when, when I was in school, the black coaches who coached high school football in Texas, they all came from black schools. Mm. The Wileys, the Texas colleges, Texas Southern and Prairie Views. Mm. But now it's changed. So we have to go with the change. 
but don't don't put the black schools on the back burner uh, because they may not have the same facilities. Right. Uh, they may not have the same number of scholarships, but they are graduating people. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. are becoming productive. And where did Michael Strahan go to school? Mm-hmm. Michael is on TV every day, Monday mm-hmm. through Friday, and on and football season every day of the week. And he had only one scholarship. Mm-hmm. And that's because his uncle knew the football coach over at Texas Southern. Mm-hmm. He goes to Texas Southern and parlays that into Dr. Strahan and a Hall of Fame football player. All mm-hmm. through a black school. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's why. Do you think, and this, what is your opinion? Do you think we put too much pressure on our professional athletes in coming back to the hood, as we say, and work with our kids? Because I don't, me personally, and I could be wrong, I don't see um, the presence as I would love for it to be, but do you think we put too much pressure on them or do you think some of them don't do enough coming back to the inner city to work with our kids? Well, see, at one point, that was the only place they could come was to to the inner city or back to the black community. Now, they've got all these other opportunities and now you have something else and now you have the media people and the front office people who direct where they go. Mm-hmm. They have a, just like they program them before they come in on how to deal with drugs and how to buy a house and uh, maybe a car, blah, 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 set, set up a checking account, et cetera. Mm-hmm. They also come back. Now, when you join a team, they've already got people in place. They've, they've got a relative in place that they want you to deal with compared to maybe you coming, you and your agent coming to town and getting to know the people in the black community if you didn't know them here already. They have already got people in place that they they they, they want them to deal with. And they also... See, remember, the first time I ever went to a Houston auto camp, I ended up with one problem. This was 1969 and 1970. I had my tape recorder, right? So mm-hmm. I go to the camp. All the black, the black players had never seen a black guy at that particular point interviewing anybody black with a tape recorder. So now all these 20 blacks on this team want me to interview them, which mm-hmm. turned into some real work. You know what I'm talking about? And mm-hmm. then... A white player yeah. I've seen a black guy with a tape recorder. They all felt more comfortable because he had a tape recorder going back to that particular situation. So my my I go back and it was just easy to do it. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. The PR people back then, they wanted you to interview their people, right? Mm-hmm. Well now the PR people they have three or four flunkies or jockeys or whatever you got people in front working under them. They want to time how long you interview people. Say if I want to interview a guy and he want to talk 15 minutes, back then he could talk 10 or 15 minutes with no problem. But now they may want him to talk only two or three minutes with you because they want to control everything. Because get what? They've got the NFL network. You competing. If you can, if I can interview you as well or better than the NFL network, they're going to be afraid to let me interview you because you have all the, I'll have all the stories and you yeah. want. Or maybe the information that they don't have. So that's what you got you have that going on now. But yes, to answer your question, the guys in the past used to be all over the community. They would do free camps and clinics, etc. Now everybody's trying to make some money off the players. You've got people, uh, and I don't knock them. Uh, they have they have uh, uh, camps and tournaments where they charge people. 
Mm-hmm. I had I had a I have the Stars of the Future program. We did basketball tournaments from 1983 to two years ago. We yeah. stopped two years ago. We never charged a team. Yeah. I told the coaches to keep the money and use it for their players. Although many people are charging two or three hundred dollars a team, you multiply three thousand dollars. I'm just using a low number. Three thousand dollars times thirty years is what? Mm-hmm. What is that number? Three thousand dollars times thirty years. Ten to what is that? Yeah. Ninety thousand dollars. Yeah. Which is a I'm lowballing it. Yeah. You oh yeah. Free. You can, You gave them that money. Mm-hmm. You gave that was your donation to the community. But but you got people who take it out. Who take it out and they charge three or four five hundred dollars a team, and they never really give anything back but maybe some shoes mm-hmm. and a bag. Yeah. And instead of giving the school something or the coach something to operate on mm-hmm. or to feed a family on. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that's, that's where you're at. Okay? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. It's on for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, they can do more. And you have some who do. You had Michael Bourne uh, who played with the Astros who played Major League Baseball who owns a, an apartment complex here in Houston. Mm-hmm. And when this virus first came up, he wrote off the rent. He let he, he took he, he he let people stay free, you know. But you can only do that for so long. Mm-hmm. But he did. Do that. So you've had and then you had other athletes who stepped up and helped to feed people who've given money, blah blah blah. You know, everybody knows the case of JJ Watt yeah. and the, what forty million dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And, yeah. and being able to operate with it the way he wanted to operate with it, but hey, he took a chance and did that. A black guy can do the same thing. You, in my opinion, just because they're white and you're black doesn't mean you can't try. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to try. Yeah, you know? I agree 100 yeah. percent with that. And and I know I keep trying to end it, but I have to go into one more area because um, I am a part of this last area as a black female. Uh, how do you see? Or what are your thoughts on um, the female who now you see are more moving into the male sports arena, media, ESPN, analysts, coaching, all these different areas. How do you view that or how you how do you see that growing in years to come? I see it getting even, I see it becoming even better and I see the individuals becoming better also. See, you're talking to someone who's gonna remember again many cases being the only black in the press box. You're in a Cotton Bowl football game in Dallas and a person comes up behind you and say, um, uh, well, <laughs> the trash can is over there. Which meant, hey, he, his thinking was you were there to pick the trash up. You were a worker, not, not a broadcaster, right? Mm-hmm. So those kind of things. So now, and you, you don't see any black, okay, when I went, I mentioned to you when I went to that first camp for the Oilers, Yep. And mm-hmm. 1970, 69 or 70, whatever it was, 70. I go to that camp. There are maybe two two women there, two white women who worked with the team, right? Mm-hmm. Everything was white except the players and those two women. And everything was white except 20 black players. Everything else was white. And there were no black, there were all the ball boys were white, all the uh trainers, the bookkeepers, the stat keepers, the uh, 
the PR people, you know, all white. No women now. Hmm. So, and all the reporters were white males. So now you, a year or so later, you come out to the Astronaut and you're just starting. And they had a luncheon room there where you could eat, right? To show you how to, this is the early 60s, I mean, the early 70s when I started. This had been going on since 1965 when the Astro game. They had a room where you ate. All the help was black, right? And black males could come in if you work with the media yeah. and eat. But it was, and white males, males could come in, but females couldn't come in. Yeah. No females, white or black, could come in. No Hispanic, no white females could come in. Mm -hmm. So Anita, Anita Martini, like a pioneer of women in the Houston area, was one of those women. And they on the opinion, they covered, they did, they covered that. Hey, I learned from them because of their hard work. Mm -hmm. They covered these teams with a great effort. So, but they were not allowed to eat in this in this luncheon room. So, you know, and, and then they would ask you, and that's when you realize it was when they asked you, could you bring me a plate out yeah. to the area where we work? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, several people complained and that changed a little bit later. But you didn't see any black, you didn't see any females. You, those two females were the first two I saw. The next time I saw some females breaking in were two young females. The, the Houston Rockets had moved here from San Diego. They made the playoffs. They were playing the New York Knicks. They didn't have the summit there, which is now Lakewood Church, or they didn't have the Patias Center. So they played in they played at Hawfine's Pavilion on the U of H campus. Mm -hmm. So this particular Saturday afternoon, after the game was over, these two, Anita Martini was there, but she waited outside, right? She asked, you know, uh, the PR guy, when so-and-so gets red, uh, say to Calvin, when Calvin Murphy gets dressed, would you have him come out here like the interview? But these two white females went up in there, right? Mm -hmm. They had the little tape. I remember it like it was today. And they haven't asked the interview anybody yet. Their mouths dropped wide open. All they did was parade around that room and look at the players. Who were naked or half naked? They never interviewed anybody. But I'm but I use that to say now to see where women have come in regards to to uh, uh, being in the media. You have the you had you have Kim Davis here. You had Pam Oliver. See, most people don't know Pam Oliver started here. Yeah. Pam Oliver. Uh -huh. Yeah. And she, they don't know how hard of a worker and what she went through to become Pam Oliver. She had to go through a lot here in Houston because yeah. some of the players didn't, you know, they didn't, a black woman at that, mm -hmm. they didn't, you know, and, and, and look at what she is at this particular time. At one time, she was the number one female on Fox doing sports. Mm -hmm. so sure you, you have women like that. And then now, but see what they have now. You have more of the athletic, they've been in athletics. Can a guy, can a person who didn't play nothing, but has the not, can a black guy do what the white guy does? They had a game on TV yesterday with uh, Jackson State and Mississippi Valley, the swag game. Mm -hmm. You had a white guy that I never heard of. Now, maybe he was an athlete, I don't know. But he's the, he was the lead announcer, right? Mm -hmm. right? He was the lead announcer. The black guy, Jay Walker, who's been around the swag, played black college football. He was the analyst. They were there together. But can a can an unknown black guy or a female 
going back to what you told become or get the chance that the white guy has. Now, they had a female, a black female on there the week before doing games, uh, doing swipe uh, football also. But, the, but that door is wide open, especially for those who are already in that, who are participants. But if you're going to be outside of being a participant, you're going to have to work extra hard. It's not impossible to become one of those persons. And it's possible. And the female thing is, like I said, it's wide, it's wide open. I mean, look at, look at Robin Roberts now. Oh, Robin Roberts her. is like yeah. a friend. She started in sports. Yes. Now she's on Good Morning America every morning. You know, and most people don't, they don't, they don't forgot about her being on, <laughs> mm-hmm. doing sports. They just know her as Robin Roberts, the, the report, the news report. You know, so hey, the doors are wide open and it just depends on what, what a person wants to do. And then again, it goes back. How hard do you really want to work? Mm-hmm. Do you just want to come on and scream like Stephen A. Smith? <laughs> at times, do you just want to come, or do you really want to? Do you really want to come with the other side that they bring to the table? The knowledge part is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, the knowledge part, but see, it depends on the person. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I have really appreciated you taking time out with us today. I think we probably went a bit longer than uh, I even expected, but I'm so grateful. I want to thank you for everything that you do and have done in our community. Um, And I want to thank you for your continued work that you continue just to push forward. And I appreciate what you've done in the industry and the the role that you have, the path that you have given all of us right now. Um, So thank you so much for taking time out of your your schedule to to allow my I am community, which is uh, so that you know, uh, the, the this community that the podcast is geared is for our younger athletes, but it's also for the international base that we uh, have worked with over the years. So just having the opportunity to hear um, just some great historical moments coming from you, I greatly appreciate that. And I know that my audience is going to also. And we may have to do this again because just in this time, I have so many more questions that I want to I want to ask you now. So we have to definitely do this again. To the aspiring young uh, broadcaster out there who may want to do this, who want, may want to be with broadcasters, remember this. Now, this is one of those before they were really known deals. I interviewed Earl Campbell when he was in high school. Can you believe this? Earl Campbell in high school. And he was a better linebacker than he was a running back. I interviewed Eric Dickerson in high school. And at that time, Yates was like the Yates and Madisons. They were in the, they were like North Shore and Katie. And at one question, and he was playing at Cedar. One of the questions you got back when you got to the hood was, oh, he couldn't do what he's doing. Eric Dickerson couldn't do what he was doing if he was playing in inner city. I said, hey, man, you have to see this man. You have to see this young man. How big <laughs> he could do what he's doing, right? And then to show you how people don't, you never know who you're touching. Vince Young played in my, remember I told you about my basketball tournament? Vince mm-hmm. Young played in my basketball tournament. And, and, and his coach came up at that time. He was a uh, down in middle school. His coach said, believe it or not, he's a better football player. He said, oh, no, coach, he couldn't be a better football player than he is a basketball player. Sure enough, he was a better football player. But to, that's to show you. But the other one is this. George Floyd 
playing in my tournament when he was in the seventh and eighth grade. Yes, thank you. George, the same George Floyd who was murdered up in Minnesota, Minneapolis. Yes. He was at Bryan Middle School, which was feeding off in the Yates. He played in my tournament when he was in the seventh and eighth grade. He stood out because he was he was a big guy with a smile. He stood out because he was bigger than most of the kids. In fact, from a distance, I thought he was a coach. He was so much bigger than you know, finally he was just a kid. Then he ended up playing for the Yates football team, played in a state championship game. And, 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 and to show you how you have to kind of try to keep going, you can't give up on him. Many people have tried to explain to him how important it was to get an education, blah, blah, blah. And it'd be, you know, study as hard as you could. Now it's the day of the game. They're playing in uh, Texas, the University of Texas Stadium. And he'd be on the field. I'm down there on the field. He knew who I was and everything. And he uh, said something along the line, Mr. Ralph or Ralph or something. Uh, I see what you were talking about. I see what y'all were talking about. Because now he realized what we were talking about was, you want to get on this level here, you have to hit the books when you're younger. So you'd be eligible to play. Now, although he was in that game, he was still having some problems, of course, getting into college. But But he was wise enough now to understand the difference between where he had been and where he was at that particular time. So that's why I said we should never give up on these young people. And then when I saw his, uh, you know how you're watching, I'm watching TV that night and I hear that name, but I didn't know he had moved to Minnesota. I knew he had had some problems. I knew he had moved out of the city. And you hear that name and I said, and then it rung the bell. Then you realize who it was. So it's a small world that we, we, we live in. And you never know who you're catching. Yeah. by the things that you do, although they may seem small. You know, I go to register my name in Stars of the Future. I go downtown. I got a friend with, oh, man, you, you wasted your time. You know that. <laughs> Why would you want to rate, you know, this is what you get from people. But they don't, when they don't, see, when they don't seem to understand what you're doing. So you, I'm going downtown to register, register the name, right? Stars of the Future. So I got a real good friend with me. Man, we're wasting our time down here. And you're going to spend $10 to do this? And so you registered the name, not knowing that you're impacting other people. He didn't realize that you're impacting other people by doing what you're doing. And like I said, that, that was George, George, uh, George Floyd. So you never know, yeah. again, who you're touching when you do the small things, what seemingly to others is nothing. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that you know. up. I'm so glad you brought George Floyd up. That almost slipped my mind, but... Thank you so much for bringing that up um, uh, because I, I didn't know him personally, but just having the, you know, the opportunity to hear some of the stories about him and to know, you know, his background a little bit uh, coming from Yates and things that really impacted us. He, he really impacted us. His dream was playing in the NFL or the NBA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but like his family said, he always told them and others that he was going to be recognized one day. Hmm. You know, not thinking it would be this way. But look at me, hey, when you think of George Floyd now, you have to wonder all over the world uh, that George, those miracles of George Floyd and his picture. At one time, I never thought I would say this. I mean, you, you put it up in some places, he would be recognized before Tiger Woods. Hmm. Muhammad Ali. Hmm. 
on LeBron James now because of what happened, trans, the tragedy, what happened. But it should we never should forget it, of course. Yes. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to the I Am Podcast, brought to you by Extreme Heat Sports and Fat Bars Records and Multimedia. We'll be back soon with another inspiring story from the voices of today. See you soon.